Harry Broad is with us. Good morning to you. Good morning, Catherine. The book for you is 50 Years, 50 Stories, Marlborough, the region that turned the wine world upside down. This is by Tessa Anderson. Uh, And goodness, this is a big story to tell. Yes, it is. It's a tribute to the Marlborough wine industry, which is 50 years old this year. It's not a straight timeline history, but it's full of those entrepreneurial spirits and inspiring people who the author calls trailblazers, people like the legendary Ernie Hunter, who was part showman, part wine specialist uh, before his most untimely death. But the origins are absolutely fascinating. There was the great Frank Jukic of Montana Wines, who could claim to be the godfather of the industry. Uh, and his advisor, Wayne Thomas, a DSIR scientist who I'd never heard of. Now, Frank uh, was managing director of Montana Wines, and they were looking at buying land to expand in Gisborne, and it was going to be nine thousand, up to $9,200 a hectare. And Wayne, uh, I can't say he sat at the keyboard, because this was 1971, 72, did a whole lot of work and said, why don't you go to Marlborough? Those alluvial gravels, uh, friendly climate, um and we can probably buy that cheap country for $240 a hectare. So um, uh, away they went, and um, <clears throat> it's become the powerhouse of the wine industry. Uh, the legendary story is how John Maris, the real estate agent, quietly bought seven farms in one hit, and uh, one farmer happened to be overseas, and when he came back he asked for double and got it. Um, but the first plantings were a disaster because... <laughs> Um, there was no water, and where Frank had planted in East Cape and probably up north, you didn't need water, but boy, you certainly needed it for um, Marlborough, and there was nothing on the rootstocks that came down to say, plant this way up. So half of them were put in... um, upside down. Then they covered them in traffic cones. Now, people moan about traffic cones today. Boy, they had three quarters of a million, most of which blew away. Uh, So two-thirds of that crop died, but the industry was full of practical and clever people who stuck with it, and uh, the next plantings were much more successful. Then in the mid-1980s, phylloxera rolled into town, which is an aphid-like insect. They call it the COVID of the wine industry. And that destroyed a lot of plantings, but came to be seen by people like Jane Hunter of Hunter Wines and Ivan Sutherland of Dog Point Vineyard as a um, a godsend and a game changer because they got rid of all the Muller Turgal, which they used to add sweet grape juice to, for goodness sake, and Chenin Blanc and planted them up in Sav Blanc and um, Pinot and various other things. Um, so Sav Blanc has certainly been the big one. Sam Neill once described it to a conference as being like bitch. A ditch, bitch diesel. Well, that's very naughty, Sam. Uh, I could explain that later if you wish. The growers were not impressed by by him. Of course, he was an Otago grower, and they was a bit miffy about Marlborough. Um, but the industry actually owns a heck of a lot to Ross Spence of Matua Vineyards of Helensville. He'd been overseas studying, and he'd come back and found there was a clone or two of Sav Blanc in the country, Brought in by the legendary Romero Bragato, whose name should be mentioned with reverence. He was the viticulturalist brought in in the 1900s to see if there was an industry there. Um, and Ross had planted this up, found it it tasted really good, but because it was full of virus, you could only get a, a I think it was a ton to the hectare, so that was pretty hopeless. So 
he then contacted uh, MEF and um, found there was uh, some plantings in a Corbin's vineyard which were due to be pulled out in two weeks because they hadn't gone anywhere. So he whipped up and got a clone and um, bred up from there and then Montana, Peter Hoopshire and again this marvellous guy Wayne Thomas uh, bred up and the industry began. And uh, the English wine critic uh, Oz Clark would say, I had a sniff of this stuff and my world of wine was cut asunder. No wine had ever tasted like that and it was the astonishing ability of these wines to be amazingly pungent and amazingly full of flavour, yet there was nothing aggressive or overly acidic. Um, it's got what David Honan, who was founder of Cloudy Bay, called the eyebrows factor. You put it in front of buyers and just watch their eyebrows. They go up in surprise, even before they've even put their nose in the glass. So the stories are fast-paced and well-focused. Nothing goes to waste, and the photos are marvellous. I mean, photographing vineyards can be a very boring <laughs> operation, but um, uh, Kevin Judd of Cloudy Bay and Jim Tannock have done some marvellous uh, shots with All landscapes and light. All light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, really, they've done the book full justice. I think what I found truly remarkable is that the author had a really severe stroke in 2022, and she's published this herself. She spent 10 weeks in hospital and pays tribute to her friend Shelley as her left hand because uh, Tessa's own left hand wouldn't do as it was told. I'm not suggesting you buy the book out of sympathy, but if you've ever stood there with a glass of wine, Marlborough Sav in your hand and wondered, where did this come from and who's done this, then this is the book for you. Thank you. Harry Broad has reviewed 50 Years, 50 Stories, Marlborough, the region that turned the wine world upside down. It is by Tessa Anderson, published by Tessa Anderson, costs $75. Thank you, Harry.